0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I, it's been a long time that we've been in 1 Corinthians. We still have a little ways to go. We're in 1 Corinthians 12, and we've been seeing Paul laying the foundation of the Gospel and relating back to the Gospel again and again and again and answering some specific questions with this church in Corinth. And if you remember, the church in Corinth was founded when Paul went to Corinth and was used mightily by God to proclaim the Gospel, and he served in Corinth for 18 months there helping this church get established. And now he has some concerns about this young church whom God has blessed mightily but has some things that they need to correct and work on, as do all churches. And we, last week we talked about what it means to be spiritual or glorifying God with our spiritual gifts. Namely, that he who is spiritual is one who glorifies God through proclamation. That the spiritual person glorifies God through proclamation. That the spiritual person, person glorifies God through obedience. And that the spiritual person glorifies God through kingdom mindedness. We saw that as we looked at uh, the first part of chapter 12 last week, and today we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. I just want to warn you, today's text is a little heavy on the teaching side. Not as heavy on the preaching side, and normally uh, my style, the way I do things is normally more preaching, and, and I like to focus a lot on application, but I also wanted to get through this list that Paul has of spiritual gifts here. So a big part of the The time is going to be spent looking at that actual list, but hopefully we will also seek to apply it to our lives, to bring it down to how do we now respond to what Paul has said. But with that in mind, today is the first half of of really a two-part message um, on verses 7 through uh, 26. So we're going to kind of look at the first part of that today. So without further ado, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7-11. through But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So looking at verse 7, verse 7 reads, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And verse 7 summarizes or serves as a heading for the content we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks. The focus of this week being each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then next week, this week as we look at verses 8-11, through and then next week, the second half of that, for the common good, as we look at verses 12-31. through 31. As I mentioned last week, the word manifestation carries the idea of being made known. So Paul says that the Spirit of God is made known or made evident in the lives of believers through the spiritual gifts they have been given. Now, As is often the case, the the focus really this week in in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is the gospel. He lays the foundation of the gospel, what Jesus Christ did. And it's important that we understand what I mean when I say believers. I don't just mean believers in some nebulous uh, religion or some ideas. I mean believers as in followers of Jesus Christ. And if you think back to our, our question of the week, And what it means to have saving faith in Jesus, what it means to know Jesus, that is what we indeed mean. To know that we are sinners separated from God. That ultimately, the penalty of sin is death. But that Christ died on the cross. He took our place. He lived that perfect life and died on the cross, taking our place and was raised on that third day so that we might live. It's a trusting in Jesus and His work His death on the cross for us. And everyone who does that, every believer, every follower of Jesus, has been given a spiritual gift. At least one spiritual gift. And see, genuine spiritual gifts are a testimony, a sure sign, of God's indwelling Spirit. Of the fact that God is living inside of us. And I say genuine, because remember, there's gifts that, there are things that appear like they're spiritual gifts, when they're not. And we can manufacture gifts, things that look like gifts. We can have natural talents that are not spiritual gifts. But genuine gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. They're, if you will, a bubbling out of the Spirit of God. They're the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in us. Thus, Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. That is precisely why Paul uses the phrase, to each one, both at the beginning of verse 7 and at the end of verse 11 in this section. See, no genuine follower of Jesus Christ can say that they do not have a spiritual gift. There may be many who have no idea what those gifts are, but that doesn't mean that they don't have them. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time today looking at the list of spiritual gifts that Paul gives here in 1 Corinthians 12. However, it's important to note that I do not see this list as exhaustive. Because when other lists are given in Scripture, it's not the same list. Let's look at the other lists outside of 1 Corinthians 12. Just real quick, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there. Romans 12, verses 6-8. through We see another list of spiritual gifts. Romans 12. Verses 6-8. through This also written by Paul. Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we have prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation or exhorting, giving, leading, mercy. Again, a different list than what we see in 1 Corinthians 12. And in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, Peter writes this As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we have this idea of speaking gifts and serving gifts. And within those speaking gifts and serving gifts, you have prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation. You have have these many different gifts. And the natural inclination when we talk about spiritual gifts is to compare this list. And there were so many times I was tempted this week to compare these lists and write a full list of the spiritual gifts. These are the gifts. End of case. Done. This is what they are. And it's helpful to create a cross-reference of these lists, but it's unwise to think that doing so is going to give us a list of all of the spiritual gifts, or all of the ways God gifts believers for the ministry of the church. Instead, when we look at these lists, what we come up with is we, show, we see the various ways, or the various types of ways, that God gifts the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, I do not believe that we can be so emphatic as to say there are eight or twelve, or however many gifts. And that what God does is He selects from this list when gifting His people. He doesn't draw out of a hat and say, well, uh, I'm going to give you the gift of prophecy. And I'm going to give you the gift of teaching. And I'll give you the gift of mercy. When we hold that view, we pigeonhole God and paint this simplistic view of the way we're used in the kingdom. Instead, these lists should paint a picture of God's creativity and blessing within the church. That's why in Romans 12 he says, since we have gifts that differ. And and here's a list of the many different ways in which we're gifted. That's why in verse 11 of, of 1 Corinthians 12, but to one and the same Spirit, He works all these things, distributing individually just as He wills. Remember from last week, Paul said in verses 3-6, through he said, there are varieties of gifts. There are many different gifts. And there are varieties of ministries. There are many ways in which those gifts are employed or or used within the church. And there are a variety of effects. There are many different outcomes. That God may gift two people with the gift of teaching and give them very different ministries. And the outcome may be very different in those two settings. You may have a a woman who's gifted with teaching, who has the gift of teaching, and she labors teaching in a small church in Sunday school for decades. And God is glorified in that. And you may have somebody who has the same gift. You may have a, a John Piper or a John MacArthur who has the gift of teaching and is, he's given a different ministry and a different outcome who ministers to hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people. And God is glorified. And remember, that is probably the most, as I said last week, one of the most encouraging verses for those in ministry and for the church. There are a variety of gifts. God gives many different gifts and there are a variety of ministries but there's one Lord who oversees those ministries. He places people in those ministries. And there are a variety of, of effects, but the Spirit, the Spirit of God, that God is sovereign over those. The Spirit gives gifts. The Lord places us in ministries, and God sovereignly works to build his church. Praise God for that. So, with that said, and I'm tempted to just dwell there and preach last week's sermon all over again, but with that said, I don't want to just skip over the list that's here in 1 Corinthians. 12 either. I think it's important to look at it specifically so that we understand more clearly what Paul was saying to the Corinthian believers and how we then apply it to our lives. And we're going to look at this list mostly in order, except that I want to take the the healing and miracles out and move that towards the end. So we're going to look at the list in order, but I want to address healing and miracles along with tongues and interpretation of tongues. I want to address those together and hopefully this will make sense as we do this. So first, Paul mentions the Word of Wisdom. He says, For to one is given the Word of Wisdom through the Spirit. And this gift refers to the special ability to apply God's Word to various and often difficult circumstances. The ability to apply God's Word to various and often difficult circumstances. Remember, wisdom is knowledge applied. I want you to also notice that it's the word of wisdom. It's not just wisdom. It's not just that they're given, this person is given wisdom so that they may know how to live themselves, but it's they may speak wisdom to others, that they may share that wisdom. It's a speaking gift. Thus, this gift is often seen in people who are in ministries such as pastors or counselors. Who take pe- and, and relate to people who are going through difficult times and circumstances and speak wisdom into their lives. Next, we see the word of knowledge. This really precedes the word of wisdom, if you will, because wisdom, if wisdom is knowledge applied, you must have knowledge. But Paul writes this, he writes, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. This refers really to the special ability to understand and communicate God's truth. Wisdom is understanding truth from God. Or knowledge is understanding truth from God. And because it's the word of knowledge, it implies that there's communication that happens. Namely, communicating what God has revealed in Scripture. How do we know the things of God? We know the things of God because of this book. He's he's revealed Himself to us through this book. This is how we know God. So when you have the word of knowledge, it's an understanding of this book and then communicating that understanding. See, this gift in those who are given the ministry of teaching. It may be to a 5-year-old. It may be to a 50-year-old. It may be a college professor. But nonetheless, it's the word of knowledge. Next in our list, we have the gift of faith. The gift of faith, Paul says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Now some might say, wait a minute, aren't we all supposed to have faith? Paul is not referring to saving faith, but instead, as John MacArthur says, I like this quote, an intensive ability to trust God in difficult and demanding ways. An intensive ability to trust God in difficult and demanding ways. You see, we know that, either, that every individual either possesses saving faith or they do not. That when it comes to saving faith, you either have it or you don't. It's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Right? There's not varying degrees of saving faith. Someone cannot have so much saving faith that they are really saved. Or they can't have so little saving faith that they're barely saved. We may think in those terms, but that's not the way it works. You either have saving faith or you do not. However, not every believer has what I would call uh, functional faith. And I think that's what Paul is referring to here. The functional faith. The faith to live through life. In other words, it's possible to have saving faith to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to know Jesus, but still doubt God's promises in the midst of life's trials. In the midst of life's storms. This is exactly what I believe we see in Mark 9.24 where the father of a demon-possessed boy comes to Jesus and he cries out. Jesus says, if I can heal him, and the, the father cries out and says, I do believe. Help me, or help my unbelief. In essence, he's saying, I do believe you can. Help me to believe that you will. And oftentimes, that's how we live our lives. We have saving faith, but we have no functional faith. We don't have faith that, that meets where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, in the daily trials. That when things get tough, we say, I know he can, but I don't know if He will. We say things like, I know He's promised He'll build His church, but we don't live in such a way that we believe that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gift of faith. Next is the gift of prophecy. The word prophecy simply means to proclaim. And there's mixed ideas on this even within the evangelical church as to what this gift exactly is. I don't think it's that complicated. The word prophecy means to proclaim. Thus it refers not to the practice of foretelling or telling the future, but instead of forthtelling, of speaking forward or speaking forth the Word of God. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 14.3 when he says this, but the one who prophesies, he actually gives a definition of prophecy, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. It's one who speaks to men for those purposes. That, after all, was the primary ministry of the Old Testament prophets. Not foretelling the future. It wasn't that the prophets just predicted the future and they, they said, you know, in A.D. 32, I believe here's what's going to happen. Instead, they, they were forth-tellers. They said, this is what God has said. And oftentimes that involved, and if you don't, this is what will happen because that was revealed to them by God. But their primary ministry was not foretelling, but forth It was designed for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and consolation. And if you... If you've met my wife, I'm going to pick on my wife because I can't help it. When I think of the gift of prophecy, I think of my wife who has the gift of prophecy and can quickly speak a word for edification, but can also quickly speak a word for exhortation and consolation. Has the ability to take the word of God and just pierce your heart with it. Praise God for those who have the gift of prophecy to speak forth the word of God in truth into people's hearts lives next I want to consider the gift of distinguishing of spirits distinguishing of spirits sometimes this is called the gift of discernment the word distinguishing is the same word we see translated discern in Hebrews 5 4 where we read this but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern to distinguish between good and evil Thus, the distinguishing of spirits is the special ability to, to separate truth from error. To know whether something is from God or not. And this needs to be, we need to be cautious with this. Because there are some who may say they have the, this gift, and that they can recognize that something is not of God when indeed it is. Or they may say that it is of God when indeed it is not. Not. But some people have this gift and many people within the church have this gift where they can just recognize this is not of God. Early on, something rises in their spirit when a teacher teaches or when a pastor preaches and when they're flipping through the channel and they stop on TBN and they have the spirit of discernment and they go, that's not of God. It shouldn't take that much discernment to get to that place with most of the teachers on TV, by the way. Not all of them, but many of them. But the gift of distinguishing of spirits is to say that is of God or that is not of God. To recognize that. So that's the first five. Now the last four in our list, I'm going to group into two sets of two. First, the gifts of healings and miracles and then the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. So healings and miracles and then tongues and interpretation. Paul says this, And to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles. I believe the gift of healing. Okay, Now, listen, hear me out before you react. Okay, Hear me out with the whole, everything that I'm going to say. I believe the gift of healing, the ability to heal other people's physical illnesses and conditions, and the gift of miracles are gifts that are no longer given to believers today. They are gifts that are no longer given. Instead, Scripture shows time and time again that both of these gifts were always ministered by the authority and under the authority of the apostles, and were used to validate their standing as apostles. We live in a world where we want to, we want to get along, we want to fellowship with those who take a different standing Than us on this, but it's important that we really look at what Scripture says and that we examine what Scripture says, because we have to draw, we have to understand whether these gifts are operative today or not. Now by the way, I'm not yet speaking about tongues and interpretation of tongues, we're talking about healings and miracles, and whether God gives men and women the ability to do these things today. So in other words, what I'm saying is only the apostles themselves and some of their associates who were uh, operating under apostolic authority, such as Barnabas and Philip, who had apostolic authority, just like uh, uh, Luke had apostolic authority to write the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, they had apostolic authority... Those men and the apostles were given these gifts and the purpose was to confirm the truth of the message of the gospel and to lay the foundation of the church. So let's try to get there and see how I get there. Acts 2.43. Acts 2.43 says this, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. That it wasn't that many wonders and signs were taking place amongst everyone, but it was through the apostles that these many wonders and signs were taking place. In Acts 5.12, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. That we live in, in a culture and we live in an environment today where many would say that these signs and wonders were the norm in the book of Acts, that these things were happening by all the believers everywhere, all over the place. And that's not what we get from the book of Acts. Instead, that it was, it was something that was happening by the hands of the apostles, that these signs and wonders were being demonstrated. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 10 through 12, says this look there with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 10 through 12. If you remember, the division that took place in Corinth that we saw in first, early on in 1 Corinthians is still going on in 2 Corinthians where some are saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter. And Paul says, I, I recognize or I realize that some of you don't understand me to be an apostle or you don't respect or understand my ministry. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 10-12, through 12, he says this, Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. He says, You should have recognized me as not inferior even to the most eminent of apostles, even though it's not me. This is not pride. It's not me. I am a nobody. He says, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. He says, I am an apostle. And how can I show you? How did I show you and prove to you that I was an apostle? He doesn't say, he doesn't say, well, there really is no proof because everyone performs signs and wonders and miracles. Instead, he says, I am an apostle. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. If the gifts were not only for the apostles, he would never use this as an argument of his apostleship. Instead, he says, this is proof that I am indeed an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ, one who saw Jesus and one who was chosen by Jesus Ephesians 2.20 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, their ministry, the, the apostles' ministry and the prophets, the New Testament prophets' ministry of revealing God's Word through proclamation and being used to write the New Testament, that that's the foundation upon which the church is built, and it served as that foundation. Thus, once Scripture is completed at the end of this apostolic age, when the apostles were no longer here, their gifts died with them, so to speak, the gifts of healing and miracles. These particular gifts ceased. Now, hopefully you've, you've Born with me this long. Hopefully you've been you've been bearing with me. Don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that get, that I'm not saying that miracles and healings no longer happen. I'm not saying that miracles don't happen, and I'm not saying that healings don't happen. Nor am I saying that God no longer uses human agents. And one doesn't need to look beyond James 5 to see otherwise. Right, James 5, verses 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one one another so that you may be healed. Why? Because the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much you see we should want to pray over those who are sick as leaders I know that Bill and Mark and I do want to pray over those who are sick I'd encourage you when you're sick come here first we are a lot more practical than your HMO I assure you we're cheaper and I would argue oftentimes way more effective right is anyone sick call for the elders of the church And they're to pray over them. We want to pray over those who are sick. Because God still heals today. With regard to miracles, just this past week, just this past Wednesday night, somebody testified to a miracle happening in their life. And there are so many miracles that we don't even see, we don't recognize as such. Somebody else, another church member, testified to a miracle in their life this week. Why? Because we believe that miracles are real. That they still happen today. It's the same God today as it was then. So what I'm saying is that the spiritual gifts of being able to perform healings and miracles are gifts that are no longer given today. So, these things still happen But it doesn't mean that somebody has the gift of healing. Or that somebody has the gift of being able to perform a miracle. In fact, I want to warn you to be weary of those who claim otherwise. A very, very cautious approach to those who claim otherwise. Just a few years ago, I received a letter from an area church promoting the fact that a gifted healer was coming to the area. There's a gifted healer coming to the area. And the letter was sent inviting people of the community to come and see the power of God. People, be cautious of that kind of thing. God can and still does heal today. But as Mark would say, I had this conversation with Mark not long ago, it doesn't mean it looks like a circus act. It doesn't mean that we send out posters and and pamphlets and say, the gifted healer's coming to town. God is the one who can heal. And yes, He used the apostles. Yes, He used them mightily. Yes, He confirmed their testimony through the, the the giving of the gift of healing and miracles. But when somebody says today, I have this gift, we should be cautious. Especially when James 5 says, When you're sick, don't call the gifted healer. Don't write to Colorado. Find the charismatic healer who's going to come and you pay $500 to travel to you. Who will collect an offering by the way. Don't, don't, Don't call him. Call the elders of the church. Confess your sins to make sure that you're not in sin. That maybe this is God's way of convicting you. Confess your sin. Make sure you're right. Call the elders of the church and pray earnestly that you might be healed. By the way, I also want to stress, it doesn't mean that God is obligated to do so. You may very well call us. We may very well lay hands on you and pray and anoint you with oil. And praise God, we want to do that. And praise God, we're going to do that expecting that God is going to work. But that, that work may not be through the, the, the healing of your body. Paul, Paul, who was given the gift of healing, said, "I prayed that this would be removed from me. I prayed three times, and it did not happen." Paul had the gift of healing, and he wasn't healed. God's word is clear: if you're sick, call the elders, the elders of the church, to come and pray over you. Not because the elders have the gift of healing. but because God uses the faithful prayers of those who are righteous, those who are His. See, God does not and will not validate my ministry or any other elder's ministry today by miraculous deeds. Instead, we have the foundation of the apostles. We have the completed Word of God. And it is that alone that should be used to validate any man's ministry. So if I stand up here for week after week, and I faithfully preach the Word of God, and nobody seems to get saved, and fewer people come to church, and I'm still faithfully preaching the Word of God, that is the measure by which you must measure my ministry. And if I stand up here and I say nonsense, and I preach from something other than the Word of God, if I preach from the hymnal, or I do like some of the churches do in our very own community who just have a social agenda that they talk about. I sat through a sermon not long ago where the pastor talked about being the miracle. That we need to be the miracle in our own world. That is nonsense. It's just absolute nonsense. And the power is stripped from the pastor's preaching when that happens. So while we measure one's ministry by whether they're faithful to the Word, even if the results are few, if the results are many, and we we don't also say, wow, that comes from God. They're amazing because many people have showed up. If a million people show up and hear a sermon that's not based on the Word of God, that ministry is not built on the foundation of the Apostles regardless of how miraculous the deeds may appear. God does not validate ministry by miraculous deeds. He validated the apostles and the truth of what they were saying, but He does not. We have the completed Word of God, and any ministry should be evaluated by the Word of God. There are a variety of ministries, and there are many effects, there are many outcomes. I have no idea where I am in my text, in my manuscript. Let's move on to the last two manifestations of the Spirit in our list. The last two manifestations, tongues and interpretation of tongues. You're probably thinking, oh, finally, right? There's ten minutes left, seven minutes left. So I'm not going to spend much time here. Primarily because as we move on to chapter 14, we're going to be discussing these gifts in detail. So just cursory, just want to mention a little bit about them, but we're going to really be looking at them uh, at the rate I preach for probably a year and a half, as we get through chapter 14, we're going to be discussing these gifts. So I'll, instead today, I only want to give you a little bit of a teaser, whereby you need to come back later and hear more. The word tongue simply means language. Now, I think there are three, in its simplest form, it means language. I think there are three reasonable, there are many unreasonable explanations for what Scripture is talking about with the gift of tongues, but there are I think three reasonable explanations. And people who I respect actually propose each of these three different explanations. People who I respect and, and admire. And that leaves me going, hey, I'm, I'm cautious to step down too, too firmly on any one side of the fence. The three explanations are this. Number one, it's the miraculous ability to speak a human language that one did not previously know. It's the human ability for me to go to Guatemala and speak Spanish. That would be a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit. I have a hard enough time with English. So it's the miraculous ability, that's one understanding. The second understanding is it's the miraculous ability to speak a heavenly or angelic language. That it's this language which is not known to men, and it's the miraculous ability to speak this language not known to men, but is instead heavenly, this heavenly language. Excuse me, Or or number three, the third option, is it is some combination of the two. That sometimes it's one in Scripture and sometimes it's the other. Also, it needs to be mentioned that some argue that the gift of tongues is operative today, while others argue that it is not. I don't want to get too deep into these issues. I don't want to get into the weeds, um, as we will eventually get to chapter 14. But I'm just going to tip my hat a little bit and say I think that tongues refers to some combination of both heavenly language and the ability to speak, unknown, to speak languages that were previously unknown to the speaker. I think that we see in Scripture times when men are able to speak a language which is known to the hearers but was unknown to them. And that is the gift of tongues. And I think sometimes it's this language which was unknown to anybody, but there's an interpreter and there's some understanding of what's being said. I also want to say that I think Scripture points to an eventual eventual cessation or stopping of the gift of tongues. I think Scripture points to that. And you'll have to stay tuned as to when I think that stops or stopped, as the case may be. Right now what I want to stress is the fact that the gift of tongues was meant like other gifts to be used for the glory of God. That's the point here in this text. It's meant for the glory of God and the good of the church that's how we see it being used in the book of Acts. Just this past uh, Wednesday, we looked at Acts 10, verses uh, 44 through 48. Acts 10, verses 44 through 48 says this While Peter was still, was still speaking these words, he, he shares the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know it had been poured out? For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay on for a few days. I can imagine. So there's this idea, there's this clear picture that Speaking of tongues validated the message and the power of the Gospel and God's willingness to save the Gentiles there in Acts. And oftentimes, that's not what we see used in churches today and what we we see called the gift of tongues. You see, the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues, much like that of healing and miracles, was never meant to glorify the individual with the gift but instead they were meant to glorify God and God alone. So again, much of what we see called tongues today, I don't think connects or relates to what we see described as speaking in tongues in the New Testament. So Paul has listed, he's listed nine manifestations of the Spirit, nine ways in which the Spirit of God is made known in the lives of believers particularly the lives of the believers at Corinth. The Spirit was manifested through the Word of Wisdom, the Word of Knowledge, through faith, through prophecy, through discernment, through healing, through miracles, through tongues, through the interpretation of tongues. Now look at verses, uh, verse 11 with me. 1 Corinthians 12.11 But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to stress it Again, Those are the words, each one. Paul brackets this whole section, both in verse 7 and verse 11, by saying, verse 7, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 11, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Paul makes it clear that every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift whereby the Spirit of God makes Himself known in them. The Spirit of God is manifest in the lives of of believers, That is amazing. That the Spirit of God makes Himself known in your life if you are a believer. And we should want that to show even more clearly and plainly. So here's the big question. So how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, specifically here at Harmony Bible Church? Number one. We must individually desire to use our gifts for His glory. As individuals, we must desire to use our gifts. Harmony Bible Church, this is not as difficult as it might seem. I don't know if all of you know your spiritual gift, but I would encourage you to ask your brothers and sisters in the Lord. To ask them, because they probably know. Oftentimes, it's very evident to everybody else they see how the Spirit of God manifests Himself in you. And as we involve ourselves in the life and ministry of the church, God is faithful to reveal our gifts. So let's be faithful in using them for His glory. And there's nothing wrong with stepping out and trying something. and God, It's going to be clear whether, this, whether you're doing this in your own strength or the strength that God provides, whether it's a spiritual gift or not. So we must individually desire to, to use our gifts for God's glory. It's not about taking tests and all those. Those things can be somewhat helpful, by the way. But it's more about just stepping out and being used and listening to others and seeing whether we're being used to glorify God and build up the body of Christ. Number two, we must corporately, that is collectively, desire to see each other's gifts used for His glory. So we want to see our own gifts, but we also want to see others' gifts Used for His glory. It pains me when somebody has the gift of mercy or the gift of helps, and they're doing something over here. I'm going, oh, this is, and it's not because they can't grow in that other area. It's because they can flourish. I see somebody with the gift of mercy teaching Sunday school, and I say, well, meanwhile, the person who's teaching Sunday school, or the person who has the uh, who uh, should be. Teaching Sunday school is trying to operate the mercy ministry. We, want, we should desire to see each other's gifts used for His glory. Paul began this letter in chapter 1, verse 4, by saying this. He said, chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Corinthians, you are not lacking in any gift. So my question is, are we lacking any gift at Harmony? I don't think we are. I think those words could just as easily have been written to us as to the Corinthians. Every gift that God desires for us to have, it doesn't mean there's eight gifts and we have all eight of those gifts, praise God, now we can operate as a church. It means that every gift that God desires for us to have, He has given us. The gifts necessary for the building up of this particular body in love. And we just need to be faithful in using them. We need to be faithful in using our gifts to build up those who need to be strengthened in those areas where they are weak. We should desire that wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, faith, and discernment are evident among us. See, it's my prayer that those with the gifts of wisdom help us all grow in wisdom. That those who have wisdom help us all grow in wisdom. It's not that, well, He's got wisdom and I've got knowledge. Instead, we grow in these things together. That those who have the gift of knowledge help us all grow in our knowledge. That those who have the gift of prophecy help us all grow in proclaiming God's truth. That those who have the gift of faith help us all to grow in our faith. And those who have the gift of discernment help us all grow in being discerning So then lastly, number three, we're almost done. Number three, we must be sure that our gifts and our ministries are confirmed or are validated not by miraculous deeds, not by by the outcome, but instead measured against the Word of God. It's not about outcome, it's about faithfulness. Are we being faithful to God's Word? You see, may our lives and the ministry, the work of this church... May it be built on the foundation of the apostles' teaching, not what works. Far too often, churches want to do what works instead of basing their foundation on what is true. And if we want to do what works, we can fill this place. I assure you, we can fill this place. Free beer on Sunday morning, we will reach this community like you've never seen a church reach this community. It's not about what works. It's about what is true. So may our lives and the ministry of this church be built on the foundation of the Apostles' teaching, the foundation of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for an opportunity to consider the ways that You have gifted this body. God, the ways that You intend to use us for Your glory God, I pray and ask that You'd be with us, that You would encourage us in You, that You would use us mightily. God, that You would do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine as we seek to serve You, as we seek to live in such a way that we are making the Spirit of God, Your Spirit that lives inside of us, that we are making Him known to each other and to the world around us. Praise You. We praise You that... He indeed does live inside of us. Now we ask that you help us be obedient to him and to his leading. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.